Would you please stand, Harvest, for the reading of our passage this morning? It's John chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman came from Samaria, or one from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you've nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. For the water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. Those are the, the words of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, Praise be to God. You may be seated. Now, this will be repetitive, intentionally so. <clears throat> but, but just to draw our minds back to John as one of our few New Testament books that explicitly tells us why it was written. Okay, so it's one of the few that have the, uh, a crystal clear thesis statement. So John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, uh, says this, that all these things I've written, why? That you would A, know Jesus is the Christ, and B, by believing in him, would have life in his name. So the entire gospel, we read through this grid, how are these passages, these stories, these teachings how are they presenting Jesus as the Christ and assuring me that by believing in him, I can have life, life everlasting in his name? As we come to today's story, the, the, the first about third of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman, it becomes very clear how Jesus is presenting himself as the Christ. And in very certain language, this idea of living water is offering life, true life, in his name. Now we pick up in verse 7 with a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, a little bit of a history lesson this morning. Uh, Samaritans and Jews had relations that are hard for us to fathom in modern day. And now certainly there are parts of our society that are, are uh, very public about their hatred or racism or prejudices and even violently so. At times, but, but by and large, though we all would have sinful tendencies towards prejudices that we're asking the Lord to work out, by and large, the extreme thought that one people group completely and holistically hates another people group uh, is pretty foreign to us. 
but not here, not here. So we would say, well, certainly we have segments of our societies and individuals that are highly prejudiced. Well, these are whole groups of people that hate whole groups of people. Now, why? Why? Well, uh, if you were to, to go back and read through your Old Testament, uh, especially in the books of, of Kings and Chronicles, that you would find Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern, and both kingdoms kept falling into to cycles of idolatry and false worship. Now, the difference between the north and the south is the north never repented, ever, never repented. The southern kingdom repented and went back into sin, repented and went back into sin, repented and went back into sin. The northern never repented. So in 722 and 721 BC, here's what God did. In his judgment on the northern kingdom of Israel, he raised up the nation of Assyria. And the Assyrians came in and deported the northern kingdom. So conquered them in battle, deported them, took them out of the land. Uh, now, what, what they left behind, so, so if the Assyrians thought a Jew was useful, intelligent, strong, could offer something to Assyrian society, they took them with them. So the only people left behind were, were the, the Jews that the Assyrians decided, you don't really have that much to offer, so we're going to leave you here. And we're going to repopulate the land ourselves. And so when the Assyrians repopulated the northern kingdom and the Jews that were left behind encountered uh, them, they intermarried. And the offspring of the Jews who were left behind and the Assyrians who repopulated, that offspring are the Samaritans. And so though the southern kingdom would be exiled, though it would return, that they looked to the north and this entire ethnicity uh, that came from the conquering Assyrians and the remaining Jews, this, 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 this new ethnic group, the Samaritans, they looked at them as racial mutts, like dogs, uh, uh, that, that they were, were uh, religiously idolatrous, that they were impure, that they had sold out. They hated them, hated them with intensity. And so here when we see a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Uh, we are clued in that this is about to be, uh, for lack of a better term, really messy ministry. And she even lets us know that. That she's taken back and says, Jesus, <laughs> she doesn't say Jesus at the time. She says, how do you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for anything? This is really messy ministry. And if you'll permit me to draw an application or implication from that, if we truly are walking with Jesus, just know, just know, we will necessarily be, be led into messy ministry. But the reality is, we don't always like that very much. And, and a lot of us would love to have a little bottle of spiritual germex that when we encounter whatever type of person or type of sin, that we could just go, you good? Now let's talk. That we don't like it. Look, just be honest in your heart of hearts. There's a certain type of sin and certain type of person you and I prefer to minister to. We just prefer it. And when it gets messy or complex, or maybe their brand of sinning isn't our cup of tea, and maybe things a little dirtier, maybe a little more perverse than what you're into. Boy, we, uh, could, you, could you take care of that? Then I'll meet with you. 
or, 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 or we'll want to pawn them off to someone else. Right, and I get it. Yeah, I get it. But, but even in the mess, I'm happy to meet with you. If you just email me, bill at harvestmemphis.org, B-I-L-L at harvestmemphis.org, I'd love to spend time. Look, ministry's messy. And there's a heart check for us on, on are you prioritizing or neglecting ministry opportunities the Lord puts before you based on the type of person and the type of sin? That if you were honest, do you really wish there was some type of spiritual germex you could just spray and now once someone was sanitized a little bit, then you're comfortable to step in? Uh, is there any messier ministry than the perfect God of the universe putting on diapers to save the very people whose hands would crucify him? It's a pretty messy ministry. If we walk with Jesus, we will be called into messy situations. But the mess, so, so here's what's even more complex for a lot of us. The mess doesn't always look the same. Okay, so, so here's what I know. I have two degrees, two. One's from Auburn, one probably doesn't count. Uh, but I've got two. And so I know a lot of stuff. One thing that I know, that I know, that I know, is that, buckle up, John 4 comes after John 3. Here's why that's important. In John chapter 3, Jesus meets a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is white collar, religious, well educated, upper crust, externally righteous. Jewish and male. That's the top of the top. In John chapter 4, he meets a Samaritan woman, uneducated, lower class, externally immoral. It's the bottom of the bottom. And you know what John does in putting these together is he's trying to get us to see something. Is whether you're white collar or no collar, the need for Jesus was the exact same. It was the exact same. Now we, we by we, anytime I use we, it's not like this random, just a kind of a rhetorical device. I mean we because I'm including myself with those of you that this resonates with. We can assume on socioeconomic basis that maybe the need isn't the same sometimes. I don't care if you're tucked away in my middle-class cove in Collierville or living in an under-resourced community. The mess is there. And the gospel has to go forth. And here's all I'm saying. If we really would just follow the Spirit, God, we don't have to create the mess to step into. God will bring you a Samaritan woman or God will bring you a Nicodemus because we both find those situations messy in different ways. And God will do that. I will, Antonio. Thank you. God will do that. But here's the question. In that moment, are we going to try to wiggle out of it because it's uncomfortable or will we, in the footsteps of our Savior, step in to messy ministry? Because this is a mess. This is a Jewish man. This is a Samaritan woman. She says, how is it that you ask me for a drink? Uh, you've noticed by now, I'm sure, that water has been a prevalent theme. Uh, all the way back to when Jesus turns water into wine, to Jesus' baptism, 
that, and here's what's amazing. The Jews wouldn't have messed with her because to touch her would have made them unclean, but the God of the universe cannot be made unclean until he chooses to take sin upon himself. And so he's not scared of her making him unclean. His heart is to make her clean. And he's gonna do that by what he offers in verse 10. Look at it with me. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him that he would have given you living water. Now, living water, uh, two ways to take that. Uh, certainly both are at play, but one is greater than the other. So, uh, so at surface level, all he means uh, by living water here is in a land that's arid, that's without a, 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 a plentiful water sources, uh, that any drink of water was living. I mean, it, it gave you life. You had to have it. So did this well provide physical living water? It did. But there was a far deeper meaning to what Jesus was saying when he said living water here. And you don't have to turn to it, but in, in Jeremiah chapter 2, you can look at it later. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, you're going to see something here. There is actually only one being that has ever claimed to offer living water. And then secondly, as God's people... Okay, so, so the Samaritan woman is not redeemed at this point. There's a, there's a separate application here for God's people that God's going to say there's a particular thing that is shocking and appalling as it relates to God's people in living water. So just listen to this, Jeremiah 2, verses 12 through 13. Be appalled, this is God speaking. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. So he's saying, be shocked. Make them desolate. Why? Based off these two offenses. Here's what God says. Here's the first. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. In John chapter 4, when Jesus says, I can give you living water, he's saying, dear woman, I can give you God because I am God. Because Jesus is the Christ. Amen? Living water wasn't some flippant phrase he used. It was a claim of his messianic deity. Clear as day. Living water. Okay, now let's pause with the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman, and let's look at uh, God's people's relation to living water. God says this. It is appalling and shocking to me when my people, and we'll just say the church, when my people depart from me to other water sources that cannot bear the weight of what they're looking for. He doesn't just say that's wrong or that's bad or that's disappointing. God says it's shocking and appalling. Okay, that's convicting for me. Because a lot of times I've got other cisterns that I'm trying to get that living water from and they can't bear the weight of that. You know, one of them, one of them is my wife. When it comes to uh, my purpose and value and meaning and everything that I'm supposed to find in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, everything that he provides, when I leave that well and try to go to her for that source of water, she cannot bear the weight of that, nor is she designed to. What about my kids? 
What about yours? If I'm trying to to get my meaning, purpose, and value, if the performance of my kids reflects who I am as a human to the world, that will crush them. And our relationship will be fractured. They're not a cistern that's meant to hold that type of water. What about work? If your entire life revolves around your vocational goals, and if you can just make it and meet it, and then you'll be established, and then you'll have arrived, you're going to find out that you think you've been drinking water, and you've been filling your soul with sand, and you will be dry and realize it couldn't hold the water. There is one source of life giving. In the ultimate sense, and notice everything I just said, those aren't bad things. Wife, kids, a, a, a job, friendships, whatever you want to put in there, whatever that cistern is, but they're not the ultimate thing. And when we try to draw water from sources that we try to get our life from, our vindication from, our justification, the meaning for our existence, our per- when we're trying to draw from those additional water sources, not only is there no life, God says, this is shocking to me. That in the plentiful, abundant amount of living water that comes in the person of the Son of Christ, that if you're in Christ, you've already tasted that God says, it is appalling, Jamie, that you would go to other wells. It's convicting for me. Okay, so just to ask, I want to ask a few questions this morning. Just ask the first one. Where are you really drinking? Where are you really drinking? What's communicating to you who you are? What your purpose is? Where life is found? Where are we drinking this morning? There are broken cisterns that will offer you some immediate uh, relief from your thirst, but they will not sustain you. And Jesus says, there is living water that is fully abundant and available in the person of God. Let's keep going. So Jesus just told her where everything she's ever wanted could be found. And here's her response. So verses 11 through 15, uh, you could just, if you're taking notes, you could just write the word misunderstanding. It's a, it's a discourse that uh, thematically is, is ripe with misunderstanding. She is, she's misunderstanding two primary things here. She's misunderstanding, uh, 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 one, she doesn't truly understand what her need is. She thinks she's just thirsty and she needs some water. That's what she thinks her need is. So she's got a misunderstanding of her own need and we're gonna see by verse 15, she's got a misunderstanding of the actual motive for coming to Jesus. Okay, so, so, so look at it with me. Uh, the woman says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well's deep. Where do you get that living water? So she's interested. Doesn't make sense to her. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Uh, well, yes. He gave us the well and drank from it himself. Can you beat that? You don't even have a bucket. Jacob dug it and drank from it. He drank from himself. As did his sons and his livestock, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water or of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Why? So that I will not be thirsty after I come here to draw water again. So she still thinks her need is a physical need to be satisfied by a physical source. Jesus says, that's not your need. That's not your need. Now, your physical need is pointing you to something deeper. You've got a need of your soul that has to be satisfied at the soul level. But then she says, I'd love some of that water, Jesus. I'd love that. Why? Here's what she just heard. Come to Jesus, get his water. I never have to walk to the well again. I don't have to draw water again. I don't have to get out in this heat. And he just said it's ongoing. So whatever this magical water is, once I get one taste of it, it'll just get, keep reproducing itself. I'll never even be thirsty again. Well, of course, Jesus, if you're going to make my life incredibly easy and all my difficult circumstances are going to be washed away, of course I'll take that water. And Jesus, in his kindness, as we're going to see in a few moments in 16 through 19, is going to refuse to let her come under false pretense. I wonder this morning, and I don't know the answer, and hopefully the answer is zero, but I wonder if any of us have along the way come to a Jesus that was presented under false pretense. That if any of us have come to a Jesus in which the Bible actually doesn't know anything about. This is the Jesus that was promised that if you come to him, you're going to be healthy. If you come to him, you'll prosper. That if you come to him, all your trials and, and, and pain and tribulations go away. In fact, if you just come to Jesus, you'll be unendingly happy. Well, and maybe I am, I am the black sheep here of the Harvest family. My most difficult, darkest, painful, tragic moments are all post-conversion. But you know, the, the Jesus the Bible promised me wasn't the Jesus that would say, I'll always stop the storm. It was the Jesus that said, I'm going to be with you in the midst of them. Come what may. So here's a, another question if we can ask this morning. As it relates to Jesus being the living water, uh, why do you want him? I mean, sincerely, why do you want him? What drives you to him? Uh, is there in any way, shape, or form a misunderstanding of our need? Are we bargaining with God? Okay, God, yeah, I will get back into going to church. I'll get my kids in church. Just get me out of this situation. I know I just, I'll, I'll get it right this time. God, I'm, I'm in a bind and here's what he becomes. He becomes our cosmic genie that for some reason we think he's just sitting around dormant till we rub the lamp, solve our problems, and then we're really content with him going back away again. I can't tell you how many times I've cried out to God for that living water and he's delivered me and I'm so quick to put the living water away again. Well, did his job that time. Jesus wants us to know the depth of our need. It's not circumstantial. It is spiritual. At the soul of our being 
is we have rebelled against God and God has made peace with man through the person of Christ. And I'm in a daily war with my flesh. Can somebody say amen to that? A daily war. And unless I am a minute by minute battle, uh, serviced by the living water, I'm going to all types of cisterns. We have a desperate ongoing need for Jesus. So she misunderstands her need and then she, she has a misunderstood motive that she wants Jesus for what he can provide. And what the Bible says is that the greatest reward of the Christian life is God himself, not his stuff. And so what, she, what he has just promised is, I'll be with you. Yeah, you're still gonna have to walk to the well. It's still gonna be hard. Life still may be tragic. Pain and trials will still come your way. But guess what? I'll be with you. And when life feels like death, you'll be alive. That's living water. Let's keep going. Because he is determined to not let her interact with him under false pretense, we have verses 16 through 19. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. There's no segue. It's pretty abrupt, isn't it? Give me this living water. Go get your husband. What's he doing? In God's profound mercy, she cannot come until she repents. She can't. She can't understand her need until she faces her sin. He who is forgiven much loves much. So Jesus is going to bring her into confrontation with her sin so that when she drinks the living water it is all the more sweeter Jesus says go get her or go get him and the, and the woman answered but I have no husband she said oh, you're right you've had five no we don't know why she's had five she could have been widowed five times she could have been adulterous five times he may have been adulterous uh, five years we don't need the point isn't always the amount that she's had uh, it's this next part and the one you have now is not your husband. So whatever the previous reasons may be that we would uh, uh, be able to navigate or, or, or get through, the point is, okay, but now you're living and sleeping with a man that is not your husband. That is sin. And Jesus is saying, if you really are going to have me, you don't get to come uh, any way that you want to. You don't get to just come and use me as a rabbit's foot to get my stuff. He says, I want you I want your heart and the only way that God can have our heart is to cut it open and show us how sinful we actually are so that the grace of God shines all the more brighter amen it says you got to deal with your sin now in 2018 we'd write an article about how insensitive Jesus was here it's the most loving thing he could do the most loving thing he could do was let her know I need your heart, and to have your heart, you've got to face your sin. Because let's draw two, two things out of that. The first is, if you're here, and, have ne and you, know, you, make it, you know that you're not a Christ follower. Uh, first of all, welcome. So thankful that you're here. Uh, the very fact that you are here, I firmly believe, means the Holy Spirit's working on you. 
even at your disdain. I understand that's frustrating. Uh, but to truly come and know Christ, there has to be an admission that we're sinful and broken and fallen and we cannot fix ourselves. And the God of the universe would in loving grace and kindness invite you in. And the great thing about the Christian faith is it's not a clean yourself up first faith. It is an acknowledgement that I could never do that. And we throw ourselves, anyone that's ever followed Christ, it only happens by throwing ourselves at the foot of the cross and saying, it's all you. It's all you. So that today might be the day you repent and call upon the name of the Lord. But what if you've already done that? Uh, does this text no longer apply? I've done that, Jamie. This is a Samaritan woman's conversion moment. I've done that, moved past that. Well, even for the Christian here this morning, I guarantee you there are rhythms of sin in our life that necessitate repentance. And the problem is they just kind of become normal and we assume that that's just broken life in a fallen world. And maybe we could collectively ask the Spirit to reveal some of that to us this morning. Okay, and, and, and it, it's not always that easily discernible. So, so here, here's some examples of it. It is the rhythm of, uh, I'm not really gonna engage my wife's heart in conversation, but I'll do the dishes for her. Isn't that dying to myself? I'll serve her but I'll be a disengaged servant in my home. Uh, that's not called normal living. That necessitates repentance. Okay, look, I know that I am really harsh with my kids, right? And I personally am tired of ending evenings with harshness and not gentleness. But you know what? They just drive me crazy sometimes and they need discipline and I've got to show them the right way. And it... No. I parent from a place of frustration and harshness. That's not normal life in a broken world that needs repentance. I'm just a hard worker. Look, I work at a different speed than anyone else. I provide for my family in ways other people do. I love that I'm just a hard worker. What if you're just addicted to work and it's your escape from engaging in the primary ministry God's called you to do? Maybe you're not just a hard worker. Maybe you've got a false religion that's giving you meaning and value that needs to be repented of this morning. Maybe if uh, yesterday's football slate and results actually changes your emotional composition and the way that you treat people, that's not called being a fan, that's called worshiping a false god. Maybe. There needs to be some repentance of in that moment. So all I'm saying is we need to ask the Spirit to search us, beginning with me. I only give examples that I struggle with. Okay? Uh, uh, maybe we say this morning, I've been calling some things normal life in a broken world, but that's sin. And it's unrepentant. And I want to taste abundant living water in every compartment of my life. And so maybe this morning, Spirit, search me that I may repent even of good things becoming the greatest things. So as, in, in, in a moment we'll take communion, uh, as we have this time of reflection, as we have a time of response, 
that we just ask the Spirit to search us. Am I drinking from other cisterns, God? Are there rhythms of life that I think are just normal but actually need to be repented of? God, save me from being the person that your text says, I am shocked and appalled that you've tasted the living water but you prefer other cisterns. And maybe that that would happen in God's mercy, beginning with me this morning at Harvest Church. Let's pray. God, we do ask in your kindness that you would, uh, again, starting with me, Make this a revelatory morning as your spirit searches the depths of who we are. That we would be called to correction and repentance. God, that we would just taste the abundance of living water. God, for those of uh, uh, who are here and do not know you, I pray that this would be the moment that your spirit would reveal the finished work of Christ, that, his, that he died the death that we deserve because of sin, that he lived the life that we could not live because of our sin, and he was raised from the dead, that we can be born again as new creations. I pray that today your spirit would reveal that to someone and that they would finally be at peace and whole with you. And for those of us that have repented by your mercy and come to know you and trust you, that this may be a morning where we repent of of maybe some systems of living or some normal patterns that we simply need to turn from and some confession that we are, even after knowing you, desirous of other cisterns. It's in Christ's wonderful name I pray. Amen.